0: I think i'll start with the first question we got um earlier on during the talk and then yeah
1: i think we should also if you're it doesn't have to be a question in particular in the talk if there's any question oh yes about christianity or lack of it
0: yeah so any question okay any question you have at all any question ask um pastor femi yeah Don't ask
1: me about politics though. APC, I'm like, it's any question, but it's not like any, any question.
0: Okay, yeah. (laughs) Any question on Christianity, challenging Christianity, on the talk, confusion with Christianity. Yeah. So um, we have a question here from Diamond. Um, She's saying, Do you think there will be a reason for God if there was world peace?
1: Hmm. Well, first of all, I should say that I told you that the Dry Bones will leave again. Arsenal were 3-0 down today. 3-0 down. What what do you think happened? You're not serious. I said the Dry Bones will leave. They came back 3-3. Isn't that what celebrated? Please round of applause for... Yeah, 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 yeah. If you clap for us now, somebody will clap for you. <laughs> All right, that's not working. Okay, it's not working. But that was that was an important. I mean, I don't know why we make things hard for ourselves. <laughs> why go down three nil in the first place? Will there be will there be a need for God if we get world peace? Maybe I should turn it around and say, can we get world peace without God? It's the question. Um, the presumption is. Yeah, what if we can get world peace without needing God? But first of all, I would say that the human track record has not been great on that, if you've been reading human history. Um, There is no period in human history that we know of once people started interacting with one another. There is no period where there has never been war. Never. Um, The latter part of the 20th century... (laughs) and I even say that, I'm not even sure. I mean, the 20th century, before the 21st century, was um, the period with which we had ascended to the greatest amount of knowledge. We knew each other more. We could travel more. Scientific enlightenment had reached, you know, not its peak, but it was the peak that, you know, had come up until that time. And the 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history. Two world wars. We had revolutions and counter revolutions. You had the Bolshevik Revolution in the, in the USSR that gave rights to the Soviet Union. You had the, the Red Revolution in China that gave rights to the communist state. Then you had the leaders, Stalin and uh, Mao, that killed tens of millions of their own, their own people. We had our own civil war in Nigeria. You have wars that still go on in um, the Congo. Um, You have what happened in Rwanda, where in less than, how many days, that a seventh of a population went in, how many days? It was in a hundred days, less than a hundred days. Like massacring. All in a time of, if you say, peak human knowledge. So it seems more... I would say unreasonable to ask, can we have world peace? Uh, Would we need God if we didn't have world peace? If we're trying to be as rational as possible. The record of human history shows that the longer we go, the more, you know, the the less peace we have. Now, I should say this. Many people, you know, um, criticize the United Nations. And I think the United Nations is worth the criticism it get sometimes. But actually, the United Nations has actually done a whole lot of good. That is, I shudder to think what would happen if we didn't have the United Nations, like, really. Like, so there are measures of peace that we get. You know, There is a United World Order. We do have global multilateral organizations. Like under the UN, you now have the WHO that helps you with health. You have World Trade Organization. Hashtag N-O-I, Ngozi okonjo right? We have all of these things, and they've, they've, these multilateral organizations have helped to keep a semblance of peace. But you wouldn't have world peace, I would say, because these things help you at a symptomatic level. They don't help us at the deepest level. Um, have you ever tried to get out of Malaria by using panadol, and I mean not not the sometimes the bad the chalk panadol that we have here. I'm talking about the expensive panadol. If you have malaria and you take really good panadol, do you know what will happen to you? You know what happened to you. Your fever will go down. Your headache will go down, and then it'll come back again. And you take it again, it'll go down and come back. Now the measure of relief that you got when you took the Panadol, was that false? Was it false? But would that ultimately solve your problem? Why? Because the deeper problem has to do with the malaria parasite that still has to be dealt with. Why I think we wouldn't have world peace, even though we can have pockets of peace. The pockets of peace and the different things that we do are like using Panadol to solve a malaria problem. But ultimately, the deepest problem we have is the problem of the human heart. This is what Christianity will say. The problem of the human heart is the sin that we have in the human heart, it's the disease, the, the sin disease that we have. And only ultimately, God, through Jesus Christ, can solve that problem. And that's why one of the things Christianity offers very explicitly. In fact, Jesus, our Savior, is called the Prince of Peace. And he says, In that world that I spoke about, that recreated world that I spoke, I spoke about, I said, people will beat their swords into plowshares and they will beat their spears into pruning hooks. That is, they will take their war weapons and turn it into gardening weapons. That is, where we used to fight wars, we will now be able to plant and bring our gardens. Why? He said people will learn war no more. But at the heart of them, is not because they solved, they had these wonderful negotiations, um, and this one said, I'll give you this land, I'll give you that land. No, it's because we restored in full perfection our relationship with God. And it's out of that relationship being perfectly restored, that our relationship with one another is fully restored. It is only then that we can truly have uh, lasting peace. But we should still work for everything that we can to be able to maintain peace here. As much as possible. You have to. Is it mic? Someone has a question
0: here.
1: Okay. Sorry, you have to hold the mic for you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear
2: Um, you. Hi, I have two questions. Okay. Um, One is what does deriving satisfaction from God um, actually look or feel like? What does? deriving satisfaction from god what does actually, deriving satisfaction from actually god? look or feel like okay so we talk about it in theory but what does it look like practically and the second question is this is not from me this is a question that um, i get and i think about a lot um doesn't the the chaos of the world isn't it an indictment on the design of god if 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 this is Coming from someone who is an atheist or agnostic, mm. if this is the best he could do, isn't that an indictment on him?
1: Yeah, good one. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one, what does it, um, what does the the um, what does deriving satisfaction from God look like? I should describe it. Um, are you are you married? Sorry, what's your name? Yes, I am David. Your name is David. You are married. Sorry, can you? Can you? Yes, so I, your name is David. You are married? Yes. Do you love your wife? I do. Sure? Yes. Really sure? Is she here? No, she's not. She's not here. Does she, do you have a, uh, children? We have a son. You have a son? Oh, she's yes. looking after your child? Yes. Is she watching? I hope so. David's <laughs> wife. <laughs> David loves you. He's saying that. All right, describe it.
2: Um, I would go to any length for her okay um, I would do everything within my I would do everything within my ability or within my power to make sure that she is um, satisfied or happy or at least okay and then I know that she is not lacking because of something that I did not do
1: that is a good attempt but what you described are proofs that you love her you've not described the love you have for her You've not described what the love looks like itself. So, do you want to try again to describe what that love, so that I can know what that love feels like?
2: It is very, it is impossible to describe emotions without describing what the emotions lead to.
1: I agree. And I'll say the same thing with satisfaction. That is, thank you. That is there are things that words fail us to really describe. I, that's why, honestly, there are things... The, the, the problem many times, I think, with people who even question a lot of stuff about Christianity is that we end up not even using... And I'm not saying this is you, I'm just talking. We end up not using the normal way we actually communicate in, in life to actually to think about things. Not everything. When I said stuff like... Um, you know, satisfaction with food, is that feeling that you get when you just say, oh, if somebody said describe satisfaction from the food that you just got, that you loved, and you say, well, when it went down my throat, it, if you start using biology, when it went down my throat, it, you know, went into my, I don't even know whether it goes into my stomach, and then when it goes into my stomach, you sort of, and then you, like, how do you physically describe it? You can't with words. But you just know that you know that you know, and so there's a sense in which yes, I can read from the things that you do that you love your wife, but I can actually, you know, touch it. Sometimes I, because I, you know, I, I I like to think of myself as somebody that a kruna I can sing a little bit. Uh, my wife, my wife was here. She'll bear me witness. And sometimes I just like to sing to her. I just like to you know, compose things for. And I say, sometimes, I say, babe, do you know, the way I love you, eh, is so much that the thing is hurting me, it's overwhelming me. Like, I, I don't know how to put it. I said, I said, uh, <laughs> so, I love you so, I, I said, the only thing that you can do, the only thing you can do that will make me angry with you is if you talk bad, bad about yourself. I'll be very angry with you if you talk bad about yourself. I love you so much that I'll be angry with you if you talk bad about yourself. You, you understand that kind? It doesn't get me anywhere. She just what? What are you saying? But quite often words fail us, and when you get to the Bible, trying to describe the thing that we are looking for, because we know what we are looking for, we just don't know how to describe it. It has to eventually go into metaphors. That's why Jesus, a master teacher, is using the occasion of something that is tangible to express what he's saying. That is, like, you know this feeling about uh, thirst, right? You know the feeling about thirst. What do you use? You know you need water, but you keep coming again. How about if you had the water such that you will never thirst again? That's a description. And so that full satisfaction is God using the limitation of words, because the Bible is a written text, to be able to describe to us. But we also have experienced things in this life I would say that sometimes, you know, I've gone through tremendous suffering in a way that made me find God in a way that I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, I'm going through this, but I am content. I'm content. It's like there's something, there's a nearness of God. And so these become like foretaste of what is to come. And so... That you can be going through a particular, maybe if you want to taste, some foretaste of what it is in this world, because we won't have it until the world that is to come. That you're going through things in this world that don't fully, you know, things aren't going totally well, and you'll be like, I'm content. There's a guy in the Bible called Paul. He said, I've learned the secret of contentment. I'm, I'm okay whether I, I am in abundance or I am, I'm in little. I'm, I'm fine. And that's sort of a picture of what we are going towards. God gives us four tastes of it now. Jesus, I didn't really say this in the text. Jesus says later, after the story with the woman, two chapters after that, he said, If anyone is thirsty, let them come and drink out of me. For if you drink out of me, the people who drink out of me, out of their own bellies will flow rivers of living water. And the interpretation was that he will give his Holy Spirit, who is like him, when Jesus returned. And so we don't have Jesus here now. But as Christians, we have what you call the Holy Spirit. And inexplicably, sometimes the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in you. And that settles it. You know, for those of us who have kids, you know one of the things, the wonderful thing about having kids is you've had a terrible day. And that child, you just come and you just see that child smile. Or you just see that child just ask you a silly question. And everything about your day just sort of goes, just be like, you know, it's all right. Nothing has been solved. But be like, it's all right. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's a tangible witness. God is really there. And it's like, he pours the love of God in our hearts. And so these are four tastes. But if I could describe the full thing, it's because I've already experienced it. And I haven't. We're all trying to get there. So I hope that helps with that. Um, The other question is, isn't it some kind of deficiency in God that we have the world as it is now, right? The world he created, the world that has death, that has sickness, that has war, that has poverty, that has the imperfections of the world. Isn't that a... um, um, a reflection on god 's own inability, I would say, well, for those who question like that, again, part of the problem is is how we even put our questions across many times we don 't question people on their terms you know it 's like it 's like going to the u s and it 's sort of the analogy that I use, and you know you 're asking people. Um, and they say, oh, we're going to watch a football game. And you would be like, ah, what were the scores? Of, uh, who, who is the goalkeeper? Who is the star goalkeeper? Who is the defender? And who is the striker? And be like, what are you talking about? We're like, ah, no, you're going for a football game, you know. And we like, no, we don't have goalkeepers. We don't have strikers. We don't have defenders. We have tight ends. We have cornerbacks. We have quarterbacks. In other words, if you really want to understand that person, that, the U.S. game, you have to ask the questions on those terms. And so a lot of people come into the Christian faith and they don't ask the questions of the Bible on the biblical terms. They don't understand the Christian narrative first before they ask the question. Because if you did understand that, you would say the biblical narrative shows that God did not create a world with suffering. God not create a world with all the problems that we had. That isn't how it started. God created a world, and he was singing. Have you ever cooked food before? <laughs> You'd be like, you, who has cooked food and you're singing? You know, when you're cooking food that is really good, you start singing. When you're tired and you know this food is not going to be, you know, that's when you're just packing somebody, because who's calling now I just mixing the thing, and just eat the rice, It's rice and stew. When you're taking rice... You're making ayamashi, and ayamashi, if you know what that is, you know, it's made with love. You're frying plantain, you know, you're putting, you're boiling the egg. You're just singing because you know what's going to happen. (laughs) Right after. When God was creating the world because it was so good, every time he looked at it, just be like, Man, this is good. The first day he created, this is good. Second day, it's good. Third day day, is good. On the final day when he created human beings, he said, This is very good. That's the world God created. But also, what the Bible tells us is God is fundamentally love. Why The Christian God is one, but it's three persons. And it says the thing that links the three persons together because the three persons have always always eternally existed, but the reason why they they are fully united is that they are united in love. So whatever God does... Whatever God does, he does out of love. So when God created, he created out of love. But for you to love, you need freedom to love. The father loves the son because the son is worth it. He's totally lovely. The son loves the father because he's totally lovely. I'm going somewhere. Right? The biggest problem you have with dictators is that dictators want the love of their followers. But they have to coerce their followers to do so. So when the dictator says, do you love me? Or let's say an abusive person. Do you love me? and <laughs> You have a gun. What will you say? If someone puts a gun before you and says, do you love me? What will you say? Eh, no, I don't. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I love you. I love you. Is it true? Even at the point of death, if someone forces you to love them, you don't love them. And so, this God that created out of love is going to want those He has created in His image to love Him back. So He has to give them freedom. And with that freedom, those He created chose, so they eventually chose to live life outside of Him, despite His loving warning that if you do this, this is what is going to happen. But He gave them that freedom. And so many of us too. That's why you are not forced to follow God and to love God. Because if you have to do that, it should happen only when you truly love him. Just like you shouldn't be forced into a marriage. It is the freedom that God gave to human beings that eventually led to the mess that we have. So what's the alternative? Should God create a world where he creates robots? Is that what we want? Even right now, we wouldn't want that. And so we can't have it both ways. And then the final thing I would say, he didn't start it that way. He had to give us freedom to love. And then the final thing is when we say there's a deficiency, again, read the narrative. How does the story end? The story ends wonderfully. And how is it that it reaches that point where you would see that there will be no more evil, no more war, no more pain? How does it happen? Is it because we ultimately solve the problem? No. No. The God who had love came down his own, on his own, to actually suffer the pain of the of the things that we were the ones that um, uh, we were the ones that actually started. He suffered the consequences of that so that he can make the story end well. So I would say to the person that says there's a deficiency in God, I would say please get familiar with the narrative first, and after you finish with that, then show me a secular narrative, a Buddhist narrative, a Hindu narrative about the world that you think actually makes more sense about the world that we have. So that would be my answer. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Hello. Okay. So we have a question from YouTube. Um, Stephen asked, um, I, I think you've kind of answered this, but mm. yeah, If this is the question. If God really loves us, why does he allow us suffer for long? I guess you can relate since you're an Arsenal fan. Oh! Said <laughs> oh! 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 many love, many love and trust in God, and yet they die suffering.
1: Oh, that was that was hard. That that was that that, that but that I. I've only ever been good to her. I mean, I but I actually say that, you know, following Arsenal has made me question the existence of God. It's been, it's like, um, but whoever has that question, is Stephen. Yes, Steven. Yeah. I, I, I joke about it. And yet it's not only, this is the biggest, often the biggest question about the existence of God. It's the suffering. And, you know, I can sit down here now and then answer the question and, Sometimes, even answering the question itself doesn't help because when somebody is in deep suffering, all of a sudden, we're trying to go, you know, theoretical about it. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't get it to it. I will tell you this, though, as somebody who I actually, for the last, so a lot of people in church know this, for the last seven, eight years, I've, I've never I don't know there's a day that I've ever felt in the last eight years that I've felt probably 90, 85 to 90%. The highest I've ever felt physically well is 85 to 90%. And that's the highest I've ever felt in the last 78 years. So, you know, I've going, I go through some physical uh, ailments. I'm constantly on painkillers, struggle with sleep, and all of these things. So I think I know a little bit about some kind of personal suffering. But again, there are people that are worse off. At least I'm sitting down here. I have a job. I'm doing these things. Some people don't have jobs there in the hospitals. And they just keep going for, for, for years and years. Some people, and I did, I, if, I, if, I, if I took, if it looked like I was taking shade on you in the talk, um, my apologies where I said that some people blame, um, blame their parents and all that. The truth is some people, some of us, maybe did not have a good start in life. Parents were not together. You grow up poor, you would have wished you had been better educated, and that isn't the life that you have. So, there is, this isn't a question that just comes from, it's not it's, as theoretical as we have to get into, um, it's not a theoretical question. But here's what I would say um, you can't ultimately judge love just simply through the absence of pain, you just can't. I have two boys. One of the things, they, they, they like to talk about, the older one now, is sort start of getting over it. But before, they used to talk about their superpowers. They have superpowers. Uh, superpowers that enable them to do many things. I often like to use the superpowers when they don't want to finish their food. And so, yeah, activate your super, super eating. They say, there's no sort power, super eating. OK, activate super strength. There's no sort of, oh yeah, activate super obedience. Just eat, my friend. <laughs> You have to do something. But they don't like pain. Children of nowadays, they don't like pain. They, they, you know, they, they don't flog them in their school. We, we used to do what you call chesting. You know, that's how you proved you are a guy. You know, you, you had young, you say, in mixed schools, you know, and you put mixed schools where children are we're all undergoing pu- uh, puberty. You know, you don't have car. You are too young. You know, you don't have money. You are too young, you don't have house, they are too young. You can't toast a girl at, at, at that age with that. So what do you do? You can chest. Chest can, you know, just put it out there. they beat pa, pa, pa Pa And they're not finish you now. you're not looking. You now go back to your chair. Yeah. <laughs> My children know nothing about that. They've been cuddled too much. And so one of the things they hate the most is called immunization. Immunization. They, they, they can't stand it. My younger one, he will see the doctor, you say, What? When the doctor is just standing up, he said, So, what are you doing? He'll say, I'm standing up. Okay. Where are you going? Are you going to get a needle? Why did you open it? Why? You question everything. Eventually, we have to hold him very tight to get it. And every time they look at you this way and say, I remember one I took, this one, um, my younger one, he fell down and he gasped um, the under of his chin, and so he had he needed stitches. Now you can imagine, if he needed stitches. For them to be able to do the stitches with pain, the, that place needs to be anesthetized. And so, what do they have to do? They had to put a needle and put the stuff in different places. And I had to hold him down, and he's looking at me like this sort of, "Daddy, don't you care?" And the point is. I was holding him down that way to receive that pain precisely because I cared. You see, the pain that he was going to go through at that point was to eventually relieve him of greater pain later. So we can't first and foremost judge the love of God simply by the absence of pain. My child will eventually understand that love and pain can dwell side by side together. That's the first thing. The Bible shows us that though God did not was not the one that caused the, set the chain reaction of pain and suffering in this world, nonetheless, he's sovereign over it and he can use it for deeper meaning. I'm not saying that I always understand the particular pain you're going through and this is the meaning for it, but don't necessarily say there is no meaning to life and there is no God because there is pain and suffering. Second thing, God does love us and he uses pain to tell us something, that the cause of pain, if we don't repent of the cause of pain, that that is a precursor for a greater pain that is eternal. Some people came to Jesus and asked him about two things and he had the same response. The first one was a natural disaster, and the second one was a human disaster. The first one, a building, a tower fell down and killed people. The second one, a leader went and he, he just murdered people and just desecrated them in a terrible way. And they were asking Jesus, the people that suffered in this way, were they, and for those who are, if you want to read it, it's in Luke chapter 13. The people that suffered this way, were they worse sinners than others that didn't? And Jesus did not go down that road. He said, that ultimately, they weren't, but that if you don't repent, you will likewise perish. And like, why would he talk about us? Why would God have a place of eternal suffering if he is loving? Well, the first thing is, or well, I'll turn the question, if God isn't loving, why sh- if God is loving, why shouldn't he have a place of eternal suffering? You see, when I was holding my child down, And they were giving him that pain, that anesthesia, and they were trying to, you know, sew him up. You know what they were doing? They were trying to create a situation where, and they put antibiotics. They were trying to create a situation where if there were any germs that were there, that would eventually hurt him, they wanted to destroy the germs. In other words, love actually makes us destroy things sometimes. It makes us destroy the things that are trying to destroy what we love. And so my loving act there was in trying, to, my, my loving act was producing wrath to destroy what could destroy my child. God loves this world. He loves the people that are in it. But there is something in this world that is in us human beings that if we don't, if we're not careful, it has already started destroying the world. That's what the narrative says. And it will ultimately destroy the world. And so God's loving reaction to that is a place for eternal punishment to put all of those things away so that the new world he creates will not have that. That's the second. The third thing to show you he's loving, even with all of that, is that he warns us about it. If you had a doctor that said you went and complained about symptoms and the doctor says, Ah, man, if I tell you that you have this disease, it will hurt this person's feelings. So, eventually he says, You know what? Just go and drink some water at home. Like British doctors often say, when you have the flu, just go back and drink water. I hated that thing. (laughs) Just go and drink water at home. Would you say that's a good doctor? Because he wasn't trying to hurt your feelings? I'm sure we'll say no. But Jesus actually warns us about it. Again, to show that he's loving. But here's the final one. God actually comes as a human being. He experiences the same sufferings that we go through, the same temptations, trials that we go through. And he does something about it. Not like other religions where he's detached from it. He actually goes through the pain and through the suffering. He actually goes through the worst thing we go through, which is death. It was in death that he conquered death. And so, he is going to do something about every suffering that we experience. Wherever you are, most of us will live tops, tops, 100 years old, 100 years old. What is a life of occasional pain, suffering, joy, love, pain, suffering? What is 100 years of that compared to 1 billion years of eternal bliss? It's like a drop in the ocean. And that's what God has purchased for us. So I hope those four things help you see that even though God is... Loving he can There can be a reason for suffering long in this world. All right. Any question here?
0: Yeah, any question: right.
1: Your name is Gabriel, right?: All right, Thank
3: you.: Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. I've learnt a lot, and I'm um, still going to learn from you and from everyone. So my question is from John 1633. It says, um, "These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, and overcome the world." Now, um, I want practical examples of how um, one can be satisfied in Christ. Practical examples of how one can be satisfied in Christ, especially when one is in deep trouble, in deep shit. Why I'm saying that is because I've listened to so many messages from pastors, ministers that said when they're in trouble, they Watch with God, they praise God, they dance, they sing. Well, even when they don't feel like it, sometimes it doesn't make sense to me because I just feel uh, the problem is still there. He's <laughs> still dancing, you know. So, 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 I need practical examples of how one can be satisfied in in Christ. And one more question um, about the, uh, creating a balance between life troubles and living for God.
1: Creating a balance between
3: life troubles and living for God, like, still satisfying God.
1: Okay, and living for God. Okay, okay, and going through life's troubles. Yes. All right. Okay, so let's take the first one. How do you dance um, while you are going through? um, Yeah, so it is really those pastors' words, dancing um, while suffering, and, fella's own words, suffering and... Smiling, forty-nine sitting, ninety-nine standing. <laughs> How do you smile during that? Um, I, I think I've heard some of those those messages that you talk about, and the, it's this that. Well, some of what I've heard is, you are going through some challenges. Um, and you seeming not to have a breakthrough, so you pray and you pray, you fast, you fast you do everything, it doesn't work. It's not that God has not helped, but you've not actually had the final key. So what's the final key? You praise. You praise as though you've already received what you have. And that praise in itself, that that's the number one way you can get God and all of a sudden you start to receive your breakthrough. And your issue is, yeah, it just doesn't seem to make sense. To when, 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 yeah, doesn't make sense to me, too. <laughs> I haven't, uh, my grandfather died. Well, one of my grandfathers died. I have to be careful here because some people may be watching. I don't want to out anyone. One of my grandfather died about 22 years ago. I'll never forget what happened. We were walking towards the cemetery. As we're walking to a cemetery, you know, and crying, there was, you know, it was just bad, and there was an aunt of mine. Ah, oh, man, like, you know, if you saw the way she was crying, would be like, how she loved this man. It's not like the others were worrying, but it's like, she was, no, daddy, no, no, no. So when it was now time to lower the casket, ah, <laughs> she was like, she's going in. They were pulling her Don't go, leave me, no, leave me, I'm going with daddy. Like no, no, you can't go, you can't, and the pool that was very traumatic. So when we are now going back, you now start going back. The music changes. Now all of a sudden, talking drums are beating very fast. Okay, the way this my auntie was dancing, eh? like she, the person that wanted to follow daddy into the, she, the kind of dance, you know, the sort of dance where it's like move for me, move, going forward, going back. I'm like, <laughs> but I thought, if they allowed you to enter, what happened? It did not make sense. The Bible never calls us to react in a way that is contrary to what is really before us. If you read the Bible, you don't hear, you know, the, the, this book uh, books of the Bible called the Psalms. And it's filled with a lot of what you call, I think a third of them is filled with what you call lament about a a difficult situation. In fact, one of the laments was about how the children of Israel were taken to a foreign land, Babylon. They weren't taken, like it wasn't through a PR kind of application, you know. (laughs) they were conquered, their place was destroyed and then they were deported. And then the people of that city in Babylon were making fun of them. They told them to, can you not sing us one of the songs of Zion? Zion was like the capital. Sing one of those songs. He's like, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Like, look at the condition we're in. How are we going to sing that kind of song there? Now, I think with the best intentions, what some of those people are trying to say is, you know, you can make God happy. Don't always look at a situation. Don't always think about yourself. Make God happy. And when God is happy, sort of that, he then is happier towards you. But I've often thought about that, that it just seems a little bit like manipulation. Like, doesn't God know that, he knows that I'm not happy. So me trying to do this thing, is like I'm trying to program God. So let's just be real. So here's what I think. Paul says something in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter, ending of chapter 4, he says this is the reason why though we go through so many different things, we don't lose heart. He says though our outward man is wasting away through the suffering we get, he understands that suffering isn't meaningless so that God is actually doing something on the inside. Our inner mind is being renewed day by day. But at the same time, though that is going on here, he says that I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has he entered into the heart of man what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. So that as I'm being renewed day by day, the temporary afflictions that I am going through now will not be compared to the weight of glory that I receive in that time when I have, um, what I receive that I have not seen and ears have not heard. So he's saying that there is a purpose to this suffering that is ultimately taking me to a place of glory. And it is on that I look at that, not just at my personal circumstances. He's saying I'm not going to look at the short term; I will look at the long term. So he then says, "We walk by faith and not by sight." That is what I can see now is the short term thing, but what I can see, what I have, what faith faith gives me eyes to see the truth about God, that it's not just this life that matters, but what this is accomplishing for me in a greater life. On account of that, I don't lose heart. And on account of that, I can actually praise God in my suffering. You see, in that way, it is possible for you to worship God, not because your circumstances are changed, but to worship God because you know what your ultimate circumstance is. When you do that, you don't lose faith in the character and the person of God. You say, God, I may be going through all of this now, but because of what I know this suffering can achieve in me, because I know what you will ultimately accomplish, I know you care for me. And so, I will not allow my circumstances to always define me. There is a greater reality than my circumstances. It's you. I will praise you. And while I'm praising you, oh Lord, do you mind doing something about this too? (laughs) You see, in that regard, you can, with the eyes of faith, not complaining, you can lament your situation from a place of faith. Complaining is to talk about a situation in a faithless way. Lament is to talk about your situation in a faithful way because you know God's character doesn't change. You know what God is going to accomplish. You know that God loves you and cares for you and so you can ask you can ask like the importunate woman keep asking keep asking keep asking and it is in that regard that you can show your satisfaction when paul says i have learned the secret of contentment and he says that whether i am in abundance or i am in little so it doesn't mean satisfaction doesn't mean you are always happy satisfaction means you are always content because you have this you have this knowledge of the truth about what God is doing in you and what God will ultimately do to you. And as I said, it doesn't also mean you can't ask. It just means that now you ask from the place of faith about who God is. And I think that also ties to your second question, which is how do you balance living for God whilst you're going through the difficulties of life? That, that, you know, that's what we are called to do. First of all, we always have to live for God. It's not, I live for God in church, I should be happy serving in church, but then when I go out, what's up? When you are going through your struggles, you should live for God. Paul says that because Christ died for us and he rose again, lives for us, whether we die or we live, it has to be unto Christ. Our life is not our own. He purchased our lives for us. So in your good times, You should be living for God. In your difficult times, you should be living for God. Your whole life, if you are truly a Christian, is living for God. But the point is, how do I maintain the joy? How do I maintain the, you know, the joy for God? This is why I say you can't run away from the fact that the challenge with a lot of Christians many times is, you know what, I'll go to church or I'll be part of my Christian community when things are going well for me. Yeah, it should be when things are going well for you. But precisely, it should be when things aren't going well for you. I'll read my Bible when things are going well for me, When I feel like I'm getting some kind of revelation and remnant. I'll pray when I feel like. If you do that, the things that enable you to thrive spiritually, even through the fires and the difficulty, will not, you won't be able to be there. The Bible says that you will not have developed the spiritual muscle. If you turn back in the day of adversity it's because your strength is small, there's a time you always have to be building your spiritual muscle because the day of adversity doesn't always come. But when it comes, will you be found to be strong? So my encouragement would just be, yeah, life sucks sometimes, doesn't it? But how we live for God in good times and bad times depends on how we create and develop just our ongoing relationship with God. I know this as somebody who has struggled with trying to do exercises regularly, right? Is that the most difficult thing about doing exercise regularly is doing it regularly. <laughs> and the most rewarding thing about doing it regularly is what? Doing it regularly. And sometimes you don't feel like, sometimes you do feel like. The important thing is just do it anyway. And so, keeping that spiritual, your spiritual disciplines with the Lord personal devotion, personal reading, personal prayer, communal meeting, worship gatherings all of those things keep that ongoing. Even when it is difficult, God sees that and God honors that. Okay. Thank you. Is that final question?
0: Um. Yeah. I.
1: I okay. Yeah. After this, I think. It's final great.
0: question. Okay. So we have a question from um, WhatsApp. It's um. It's a bit of a deviation from the talk. Um. First of all, the person says it was a great sermon, Pastor. Uh my question is how did the report of your Christian hero impact you and how did you deal with it? And I think that's in reference to Ravi.
1: Yeah, so the name of the person is someone called Ravi Zacharias. I write a little bit about it, I read an article about it. You can I, I can't remember what the article is about, but if you go to a website called the Gospel Africa dot the dot com, you probably will be able to see it there and search for my name or Ravi Zachariah. So I think it's there. So I sort of, um, in trying to reflect how it affected me, I was trying to also help, uh, trying to humbly uh, uh, um, put advice there for people who are devastated. Because when I say a personal hero of mine, he was a a hero to millions of people. Like a lot of people, I'll tell you what, some of the things I even say, some of the arguments, when I don't even know, that I am actually quoting him. A lot of some of the things I've said are actually from him. And so it was particularly devastating. Um, It convinced me about something more than anything that I've known before. And I think all Christians should know this. God has many messengers, but God ultimately had one messenger. And all those messengers are either pointing back towards that messenger or they are pointing forward towards that messenger. God had many prophets in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. God has had many prophets after, in what we call New Testament, till today. But all those messengers were pointing to the messenger. And I was pointing to that messenger in 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 the talk. It is, it, is, it is an important thing to have heroes. I would say it's an important thing to even look to people. The Bible talks about, follow those who follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, obey and imitate your leaders, those who spoke the word of the Lord to you. So there is something about having people to inspire you. But there is a pedestal that you must never put anyone, no matter how much they inspire you on. Why? Because they can never carry that weight. And oftentimes when we find out our hero's foibles and sometimes our hero's hypocrisy, it further reminds us that ultimately none of those heroes, if they died for us, would have saved us. That is why God himself, right? The second person of that, tr- that trinity, himself became a human and he is the one that we worship. He is the one that we look towards. Men's words about him, Him is what inspires us. And so those men should be honored and those women should be honored. But ultimately, it is the word about him that eventually is the one. And so it just further convinced me about my conviction in the person of Jesus Christ. That's one. Two is that it convinced me about my own foibles, too. That if somebody died at 74... Right, I'm still years away from where it was. If, if he read the Bible, if he saw all of these things, and he could still do that, I have to be very, as a Christian leader, I have to be very careful and let me not just use the word careful, humble. And you know what they say about humility now? Once you start saying I'm a humble person, you just show sure that you have lost it, right? You, you know, um, yeah, you say, do you uh, give a talk? How I finally became humble. <laughs> You're like, okay. I think you may need to work on that. <laughs> but 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 that I often would say I often say that about humility that the first the prerequisite, the first requirement of humility is self-awareness. Someone that doesn't is not aware about themselves, and particularly I mean your weaknesses, cannot really be said to be humble. Because when you say, "Oh, I should worship God," Oh, please don't hold me high on the pedestal. You know, sometimes people, we say, oh, it's not for me. It's all the glory of God. And by us doing that, we are trying. our perceived humility is what we are trying to use for you to, <laughs> you know, so like, ah, that guy is so humble, like, you know, I'm your humble servant. It's actually a way to show our lack of humility. So when you say it's really to the glory of God, why are you saying that? If you cannot point to the fact of, because in my own heart, if you know the things that I think about, you know that you shouldn't be glorifying me, I'm just a vessel. If you, don't, if you know the, the kind of battles, I would say if you know the battles I face with self-approval uh, approval of people, if you know the battles I face sometimes with, with being conceited, you will know that whatever accolades you have to give to me should be tempered. The question is this about yourself. And I was asking, do I know that? Does that always work with me? Because the root of what eventually led to his posthumous fall lies in me as well. And it's not totally conquered until Jesus Christ returns. And so with that, I have to be humble. I have to, uh, the prophet in um, uh, Micah said something like this. He says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what is required of you. That not only should you love mercy and should you do justice, but you should walk humbly. So, when you are aware of yourself, the next thing is you are aware of God. In those terrible things that you say, people may not see it. Does God see it? Do you really, really, really believe there is a God? Like the way I can see some of you seated here. I know you are here. You are not an illusion. Do you really, 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 really believe that God actually can see? In many ways, the Christian faith the journey of the Christian faith is our increase is the journey of our increased awareness of the presence of God because we don 't fully fully believe it we are increasing our belief in it but we don 't or else we'll never sin any we'll try we'll, at least if God was inside here you wouldn't, you 't commit any sin and so I, I became more aware of my own fragility as well and I also became more aware about um, the need for real accountability as leaders. Um, is a buzzword. You know, when a word becomes a buzzword, where everybody starts talking about it, eventually the more you talk about it, the more it actually loses its meaning. And so you can put a lot of accountability structures around you without actually being accountable. And so, truly, you know, confessing sin to people that you're holding that are being held accountable, you are held accountable to us. Here in our church, we, we try to practice uh, plural leadership. So even though I'm the pastor, like, it's not like I have the ultimate say in everything, that we are the, the group of us. Uh, but also just being more open about who you truly are and really leveraging, uh, allowing that power not to be centralized. But the ultimate accountability still comes in your personal relationship with God when you have, when you have violated, when you have been able to go um, find ways out of all those accountability structures, you are left with you and God. Should I do this or not? And that, that, you know, is something I want to continue to grow in. So that's what I would say to that. He's not the first to fall. He won't be the last. I hope I don't. I pray to God I don't. Um, but I also say, if you are that kind of person, please don't quickly say, oh, so if these Christian leaders are, are falling, um, why should I continue in Christianity? And I'll end with this. It's true he fell, and it's true it was a, a huge scandal. But do you know why it's a scandal? Let me put it another way. What is the safest form of transportation? Most of you know this answer. What is the safest form of transportation? Air, Air travel. Isn't it? What is the form of transportation most people are scared of? Does that make any sense? Why? Let me tell you why. It's because of what what happens when we have a plane crash. When a plane crash happens, not only is it devastating, it is actually because it is so rare, it is so catastrophic. And it is that memory that actually makes it a headline. We have daily crashes of cars all the time. It is because car crashes happen all the time that is not a headline. It is because of the kind of high standard that we hold to Christian leaders and because Christian leaders are not falling in that way all the time, that when a Christian leader of that caliber falls, that it becomes a scandal. Are you understanding me? Because if Christian leaders were falling in the way, just like you're having car crashes, I'm telling you, at that point, Christianity would have been a false. <laughs> it's like, uh-uh, it's not even holding any kind of power to those who are, it's meant to lead, no. So I'm saying if you are that kind of person, I will to say, well, this person I knew fell, and that person I knew fell, and that person I knew fell. For every one person you can tell me that you know is not doing well, I probably could give you a hundred names of people that we don't really know. There are no name pastors, right, that are serving. There are no name Christian leaders that are serving well. The reason it becomes a scandal is because of the rarity of it, and the rarity of it is what makes it look like a catastrophe, which it is. And we should learn lessons from it, but I don't think you have to give up on Christianity because it is happening. We've seen that happen. The Lord bless you all. Thank you, and I'll hand over to um, Hira and to, to close us. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, um, Pastor Femi. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.